At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast, everybody. This is Jeff Fader, Fader Knives. I'm here with the returning uncrowned king of knife making on, on YouTube. Aaron Goff's back, baby. The knife maker of knife makers is here. But before we talk to him, see what he's been up to, let's take care of a little bit of biz. First things first, Broadbeck Ironworks, makers of the 2x72 grinder. They're knife makers making knife. They're making grinders for knife makers and woodworkers and metal workers and everybody. It's an awesome machine. I, I just got off the phone with, with uh, Vince and uh, Ryan, and they sent me some some parts, and we talked about what they've got coming up. They have a new radius platen that they're putting together. You can order that. They have a uh, they have a beveling table, which is great with their stuff. They're constantly coming up with new things for their grinders. And if you go to BroadbeckIronworks.com, if you put in the promo code Knife Talk. 200 you're gonna get 200 off any of their grinder packages like the max premium and the mega and if you're looking for a sharpening system surface grinder or a leather sewing machine which they have you can put in knife talk 100 you get 100 off that and just to let you know they also sell abrasives they also have even heats they all sell even heats too so go check out what they have they're great and they're constantly coming up with new things for the grinders and if you don't have uh, a Broadbeck chassis, you can still use their attachments. Their attachments are really, really great. Uh, their surface belt grinder attachments, awesome. I love their Mareco Platin, which is really cool. And you can get them built. You can put them together. They'll put them together for you. You can get them painted. You can get them unpainted. It's a great company, and I really appreciate them. And go listen to last year. I, I interviewed them, and it was a really interesting oh, uh, conversation on how they came up with Broadbeck Ironworks. So thank you very much, Broadbeck Ironworks. Next is Even Heat. Even Heat are the manufacturer of the finest treat, heat treat ovens available. Go to evenheat-kiln.com to check out what we're talking about. And uh, if you're saying to me, to you, what is a kiln for? Well, you got to get your knives up to critical temperature. You, to, in order to harden them, you got to get your axes, your tools. You got to harden your tools, your axes, and all that hammers and stuff like that. You might as well do it properly. And if you're using stainless steel, Forge ain't going to cut it, ladies and gentlemen. you got to hold the high temperatures for long periods of time at different points, and you might as well do it correctly. So go get yourself that even heat and stop fooling around. And if you listen to Knife Talk, you'll know that there is a distributor for even heat, and they'll give you $75 off and free shipping in the United States. So get with the best. I love these guys. Even heat are, are fantastic. Next is Axe Wax. Axe Wax, all natural food safe wax for your axe. If you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off all of your Axe Wax. I love this stuff. I just sent my favorite knife I've ever made. It was with um, Baker Forge and Tool Go My. It was unbelievable. And I sent it to, to uh, Europe. I, I don't send a lot of knives to Europe. This one went to Europe. And I covered the blade with Axe Wax. And I, and I felt comfortable with the fact that it's going to hold it together, hold that Q-My together. We're going to talk about that later. 
and it's going to make sure that it doesn't patina, doesn't rust, and it's food safe. So when the customer gets it, I don't have to worry about him cutting up something and feeling sick to his stomach because he put some kind of icky stuff on it. You know what I'm saying? So if you go to axwax.us, put in the promo code full blast 10, you get 10% off. If you're in the UK, UK Knife Supplies is taking 10, uh, full blast 10. If you're in the EU, Keith Colby, knifematerial.at, uh, he's taking full blast 10. Gamaco is taking full blast 10 Australia. And my next uh, read, uh, nordicedge.com.au, they're taking full blast 10. So go get yourself some of the Axwax. It's it's terrific. I love it. I love Axe Wax, and I love everything they do. So I appreciate their support. Uh, that reminds me, you can get it at Nordic Edge. Nordic Edge makes pro tools for knife makers. Uh, they're behind the original fi- file guide with screw-on carbides. They're also making a, a, they make, um, a file guide called the Big Mert. They teamed up with Mert Tansu to make a file guide uh, with Mert Tansu, and it is at knifekits.com in Atlanta. You should definitely check out what they're doing. If you're in Australia and you want to get into knife making or you want to get a resupply or get some stuff, go check out their website, nordicedge.com.au, and if you put in Full Blast 10, they're going to get 10% off all your Axe Wax. They have scales. They have abrasives, grinders, tooling, uh, kits, handle kit parts. If you're like listening to this and you're just like, well, I don't have any of this stuff. I want to learn how to do it. Go get yourself a kit from uh, Nordic Edge and they'll get you squared away. They have great uh, steels. They also have great wood uh, for your handles and everything else you need. So go get check it out old uh, nordicedge.com.au and uh, thank them for me. I appreciate that. If you're in Canada or United States, go check out Maritime Knife Supplies. MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca. All your knife making needs, belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, anvils, everything you need to get started resupply. They're in Canada, but just because they're in Canada and the United States, it's ju- it comes just as quickly. I don't know how he does it, and that's not really my place to ask. But he sends stuff as quickly as you're going to get it anywhere else. So uh, I would highly recommend checking out what they have. He's constantly coming. He's a knife maker. Lawrence Lake's a knife maker. He's been very involved with the New England School of Metalwork, and uh, they he's he knows what you need. And if you he maybe he doesn't have something you think you need, you get a hold of him. He'll get it on, like a, uh, brooches for your handles. Uh, he's got uh, Rockwell chisels from. Uh, um, uh, Matt Parkinson. He's got the Dr. Laren Thomas's must-have book knife engineering. He's got all the TR maker equipment. So go check out what they have over at Maritime Knife Supply. And if you get, they have ten, uh, they have ten packs of abrasive belts, and you get ten percent off on those ten on, on that pack. So you basically get one free, which is nice. So go to uh, MaritimeKnifeSupply.com and see what the fuss is about, huh? 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 Next is my friends at Total Boat. I had a real great conversation with my friends at Total Boat. Total Boat is, uh, they make adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds and for boaters and DIYers. And I want to talk to the knife makers. I want you to consider using their two-part epoxy for gluing things up. And I'll tell you why. It's made for boat parts. So it, it, they, they understand the value and how important it is that your boat stays afloat and things can't start coming apart. Total Boat makes awesome two-part epoxies. Uh, They make great... Pourable two-part epoxies too for if you're in the oh you want to make a hybrid handle material they got that stuff for you too they have pigments so you can pigment the material you can make anything you want with resins they have it and I would highly suggest getting trying out their two-part epoxy I have some I have some of it I'm getting more of it because I've been using it for all my knives 
this past year, especially uh, exclusively, and I really, really like it. And the thick set pa- casting epoxy is awesome. Uh, guys like Keith Decent, Derek from Alden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, Tony, uh, and uh, Jimmy Duresta, he's using it. You know, I told you this before. He's finding dead animals. He's mummifying them in Total Boat, and he's making these weird, ghoulish sculptures that everyone seems to like, and he likes them. So it's good enough for Jimmy Duresta. It's good enough for you, okay? So I would highly suggest getting yourself some Total Boat and stop playing around. Thank you, Total Boat. It was good talking to you, Kristen. Next is my friends at Trojan Horse Forge. Trojan Horse Forge are the makers of the stable rail knife finishing vice. These are vices built in the heart of Texas, and they're designed to take your handle finishing to a whole new level. It's not just a vice for the handles. They have plates that mount to the bottom so you can hand sand comfortably. Any kind of knife you want. If you have an integral bolster, it moves so you can uh, accommodate the, the bolster. If you have a kukri, if you have a curved blade, anything with a distal taper, it can accommodate your knife and it's it's an awesome 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 vice i have a couple of them i love them we use them every day every knife goes on the stable rail knife finishing vice from trojan horse forge twice and i would highly suggest getting it for yourself it's you know dynamite knife uh knife finishing vice so trojanhorseforge.com put in the promo code full blast you're gonna get free shipping in the united states and they offer payment plans too so if you're worried that someone's going to you know, you know, worry they're going to look at a bill. You do that payment plan. Get yourself squared away with the Trojan Horse Forge. And last but not least, I have to thank my friends at Baker Forge and Tool. BakerForgeandTool.com. They make incredible steels, exotic steels and regular steels and Damascuses and Kumais and Sandmais and, and bronze mines and copper mines. And you're saying to yourself, what is it? Well, it's it's incredible. They're not just, is he making, uh, is Koi Baker making these beautiful Damascus, but he's making uh, copper mai or, or, or go mai. And basically what it, he has, he sent me a piece and it's got 80 CRV2 core. It has a, a, a layer of copper and then jacketing of Damascus. And I don't understand how he does it, but I'll tell you what he says. In 2022, in 2020, Coy Baker developed his very own technique for fusion welding copper directly to carbon steel without the aid of pure nickel, a method previously unknown to modern smiths. Not only was, he, was it the bond good, as normal fusion welding is far superior, the strength achieved a stand-up to better shear testing than previous methods. The product outcome has been called copper mascus. Baker has since expanded that process to include other alloys in the multi-layer setup for unique pattern development, mostly in the use of blades. I tell you what, one of the cool things about this stuff is when it comes to you, it comes to you annealed. So it's 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 the bill. It comes annealed. It's super easy to cut. And then with the copper mai, if you're, you're, you're new to it, the copper mai, when you're grinding and you try to reveal down to the core, you can actually see the copper layer so you actually know where you are in regards to the body of the knife. So it's awesome stuff. I ordered more. I uh, had to. I had to. My favorite knife I just sent out to, to Europe or to, to the U.K., and now I need more. So go get yourself some of that Baker Forge and Tool steel. You won't regret it. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. I'm not regretting because I'm getting more of it. I need more of it. It was too much of a, I couldn't pass it up. I couldn't pass it up. And you know who I couldn't pass up? My next guest, backed by popular demand. Aaron Goff is the is the reigning champion. He is the knife maker's knife maker. Most people who started learning how to make knives have watched Aaron Goff's videos on how to make knives. They're the most concise and easily some of the most important YouTube content in knife making. Aaron, 
How the hell are you? I'm, well, I was going to say I'm good. I'm okay. You're I'm okay? okay? What's wrong? I know you value the realness over here. You know, I'm okay. What's wrong? Well, I don't, I mean, I'm sure you've seen my Instagram. Wait, let's, let's go back for a second. Let's Thank go you back. for having me. It's also, have you considered a, uh, a career as like a presenter at racetracks? You, I, you can speak very fast. I would tell, here's what, here's the problem. The problem is, <laughs> here's the problem. I want to get through, I want to do good ad reads. And I want to get them through. I enjoy doing the ad reads because it makes me feel like I'm a radio guy. Yes. And, yep. but at the same time, it's just like, you know, I, and I also try to do them in the beginning so I don't have to interrupt our conversation with them. But I would love to, if, if I'll tell you what, if things happen and I got an opportunity to do any type of real broadcasting, like, I mean, we do good over here. We do good on Knife Talk. But if I got like a real radio opportunity, I'd take it in a heartbeat. Heartbeat. Well, I'm not going to lie. I think you are a real broadcaster, Jeff. Oh, Aaron. Yeah. So wait, what's going back to back to that? So you <laughs> said you're just okay. What's going on? Well, I mean, so uh, I haven't really talked about it too much, but uh, about a year ago, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to buy a house, which right. is fantastic. Um, you know, it's five acres in the country with a workshop on it, which is like my dream, hundred percent. But the you know the law of un unintended consequences kicks in. Right. Right. So when I first looked at this property, I inspected the shop and I was like, oh, yeah, it looks good. Like I could just about move in. Uh, not not so much the case. So, you know, almost a year later and I'm still working on like renovations, fixing oh, up boy. the place, which means like you can you can imagine like if, if someone was like, oh, you're just not allowed to use your shop for the next year. Probably make you fucking sad. Yeah. Yeah. How much? I mean, is it just you working on the building, or um, right now? Yeah, like it basically, you know, I thought I was going to move in and spend ten grand and move a couple of walls around, do some electrical and stuff, and no, like I found structural issues, so I, you know, spent all my money with the contractors on on early days, kind of fixing stuff up where I could, and then now I'm doing all the the finishing solo. Are you? Are you are you optimistic that this is you're turning a corner so you have an idea of when you're going to be able to start working or uh, I think so. I think too like recently I've had a bit of a change in attitude. I was like, well, you know, it has to be right before I start working and right. then I was like, this is this is insane. You know, if I <laughs> if I uh, knowing my standards, if I wait for something to be right, I'm going to be here forever. I need to just get back in the shop. So um I'm kind of uh working on jury rigging some stuff getting getting the the shop back up and running so that i can you know get back to my glory your standards are so goddamn high <laughs> that i could totally imagine it would be like you know years before you had it correct yeah and i think the contractor it, you know I, I, he's a friend now like we got to know each other while working but i'm pretty sure he thinks i'm insane well i mean I'm sitting next to your knife. I, I have, I, during the pandemic, I bought a lot of knives from friends. And mm -hmm. I would say that the Resolute Mark III, Mark III? Yeah. Is it the Mark III? Is my favorite knife I own. Oh, I'm glad you like it. And it's, I mean, it, it really, and it's a lot of it's because I started this biz. Before I started this biz, I was down that YouTube rabbit hole and I watched all your videos. <laughs> and it, it was just like watching you make the the, the Resolute Mark three was really such a experience because the videos were so easy to understand from someone who didn't know about CNC. You did so many videos right. in regards to how to make it with the minimum amount of tools. And I know from talking to you in the past, how many, 
um, samples you basically had to throw out because they didn't meet your expectations. Oh my God. I've still got a drawer. Like I've got a one rolling tool chest and the bottom drawer in that rolling tool chest is just all rejects like blades and handles. And you'd die if that thing fell on you. It would, it would crush you. <laughs> well, you, you once did a, I think you once did a video of like how, I think one of the interesting things about your procedures, your work in general, is because you, you're so invested in learning how to use CNC technology to, um, to build your knives and the, the, the fixtures you're making and the programming that you're doing. It's such a huge labor to create this yeah. concept of perfection. That well, the, and the, the thing is too, that like you just, you cannot ever get there, you right. know, and, and the drive to get there is important, but actually trying to get there is counterproductive. If that makes sense. Like you, you have to get to the, the 99th percentile and then be like, this is fantastic. I don't need to, <laughs> right. you know, go to the 99.9 because then you'll never deliver anything. Um, you know, you'll, you'll never be happy. Uh, so yeah, it's been an interesting journey and it has unintended consequences too, for me. Like, you know, we're talking about the, the workshop. I could get away with a much cheaper, smaller, easier to, uh, renovate workshop if I didn't have all the CNC machinery. Right. Um, you know, just so I, the new place is two and a half hours, hours outside of Toronto and moving the machines from Toronto to the current place was like, it's like four grand just to move these two oh, machines. Jesus Christ. You know, like, yeah. And then if I want to move, because they weigh five and a half thousand pounds each. These are little machines. They weigh five and a half thousand pounds. So if I need to move them around in my shop, I either have to call the machinery mover to come like, oh, I need that one over there, you know? And then, oh, that's another like grand or whatever. So I ended up buying a forklift. I own a forklift now, Jeff. That's good. That's a, <laughs> that's a good move. I would imagine that was a very good buy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a piece of shit because you can't buy like a really nice forklift unless you've got really nice money. But, you know, but, I mean, it, you, it'll give the job. I would imagine you're thinking, all right, if I have to move it three times, I got to get it. I might as well get the forklift. It shouldn't be cheaper in the long run to get the forklift anyway. Absolutely. Right. It, it, it broke it. The break even is like, oh, I have to move things twice. And like, I, I haven't even finished the workshop yet. I have to move the machines just to like finish the wall behind them or something right <laughs> so when yeah. do you suppose you're gonna did you have to do like the did you have to redo the floor like pour concrete and stuff not pour concrete no but um i am like look okay so this is an an, an one of aaron's unreasonable pet peeves is uh dirty dirty floors and every workshop i've ever been in has had shitty floors yeah. you know like cracks and and you can never like it doesn't matter how much you clean them they always look dirty because there's like pits and cracks and crap everywhere so I'm, yeah, I'm doing an epoxy floor in this place, but then like, you know, I, it just, I'm just causing problems for myself here, Jeff. Just, I, I just, I'm not, and I don't, you know, I don't like to do that. You know what you should do? Just make sure you don't put the speckles in the paint. Oh, that's what I was going to do. I love well, those. But you're not worried about losing screws, right? The, I heard from Brian House over at Housemade mm -hmm. that he did it and he loses a screw and it's, it's gone. If you put uh, the speckles in it, the screw's gone. That's okay. I'll just I'll learn how to make them faster. So it you know what? When I, I apologize. Them. You do whatever the hell you want, Aaron Goff. I, <laughs> yeah, I stop can't telling be, me what to do, Jeff. I can't be the one to tell you how to do your thing, man. You're the one who tells everybody how they should do their thing. No. Well, here's here's the question for you. Here's the question for you. 
because I mean, you have a history and experience with computers and programming. You've yeah. really focused your work in ge in general in this idea of creating of C and C is is your is your is your instrument to let you play well. Yes, right? for sure. How do you feel? One of the things I've been talking about lately with a lot of blacksmiths is the fact that it seems as though in the past 25 years and maybe even 50 years, there has been this, uh, the, the ability to take industrial equipment and make it, use it for recreational purposes. Mm. And I'm interested to, in regards to, because you're the first guy I know who started to like bring in real CNC machines into your shop and, and it was not like zoned for, you know, for like in manufacturing. <laughs> right. How do you feel things have changed since you started in with these machines? Uh, actually, you know, honestly, it's something I'm kind of sad about because this, I think smaller CNC machines, like the bench top machines have become so much more available, which is amazing. Like I remember the first CNC machine that I ever bought was actually a kit. And this thing was such a piece of shit. It was like right. made out of like EMT conduit, you know that like metallic conduit. Do you say like skateboard, use. skateboard trucks and stuff? Like yeah, that? yeah. It just, just garbage. So like you know now you can buy something that's like half decent off Amazon and and chuck it on your desk. And and the important thing about that is that it'll teach you most of the things that you need to learn about cnc right you know you'll learn all of the various bits but in terms of actual capability like those machines are really not gonna you know machine tool steel or or certainly not hardened steel you know you you will struggle holding tight tolerances like making handles or or that kind of thing um and it does make me a bit sad that the kind of that i think there's still a hole in that the low end of the CNC market, which maybe is starting to get filled where, you know, you can spend like five grand and like, yeah, you're not putting it on your desk anymore. It's, it's its own thing. You know, it needs a space in the garage or something, right. but it'll plug into your, like a standard outlet and, you know, you could actually use it to machine steel. Um, I think that that's slowly becoming more of a thing. And that's, a that's amazing. Like that's the future that I want. You know, everybody has a, 3d printer and a cnc machine and knows how to use them and can make whatever they want i think that's awesome well you can start to see i mean fiber lasers are becoming more more inexpensive and I, you know i actually i'm gonna have brie pettis on from bantam tools and yep. he's had to change his his business a little bit because sales for his desktop cnc were you know not as good as he was hoping i mean based on last year i'm gonna have him on to talk about it some more right. but it's 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 that that it's it's this growth it's hard I, I find the future very interesting and, and I'm fascinated by how you, who've really brought, I mean, your machine, your, your CNC machines are used, like you said, if you said 5,000 pounds a pop, I mean, they're, yeah. they're for like making weapons of mass destruction. They're like, <laughs> these are like government, like well, I know that Brie, that. I'll get on another list. Well, Brie has, Brie Pettis has <laughs> some new, he's got some CNC machines that he has had to register with the government. Because oh, they're like, right. yeah, he's got major machine. I mean, he makes machinery yeah. that's like, you know, for, you know, he's getting the, the specs and the approvals so he can make stuff to go into space. That's his goal for this year. Right. That's so, super cool. Yeah. With five axis stuff, like if you, if, if you have like a five axis CNC machine that can machine things to within a certain tolerance, then as you said, yeah, like 
that stuff gets covered under the international trade in arms regulations because theoretically it could be like used to help nuclear proliferation but come on yeah we're not making we ain't doing that he's just <laughs> i mean he make he's making like little tops and stuff that just spin on your desk and little things like that i ain't right. worried about it about the about worst freedom. i could do is 100 knives glued together you know <laughs> so how i mean when was the last time you made a knife uh last january are you yeah last you mean january 2020 yeah so i i like wrapped up all 2021 of kind of, uh no january 2022 yeah uh, i'm bad with math i'm bad yeah. with numbers seriously yeah so you know before because we've been looking for a place for a while um and then <laughs> so, talking to the banks you know like banks aren't particularly impressed when you're like oh yeah i run i work no. for myself i literally at one point had a, a meeting with the mortgage mortgage person at the bank and she's looking at all the things and then she's like what do you do and i was like oh i work for myself and she just like closed the folder yeah. in front of me <laughs> i was like oh jeez <laughs> headshot um <laughs> so yeah i went and got a, a day job because i was like well okay if i want to realize this dream i'm not going to do it you know at least not in the short term by continuing to make knives right so i went and got a day job um working on software stuff again and i'm very very lucky to have that as a you know quote unquote fallback um so yeah like but part of that meant that i had to uh, scale down the knife making just simply because of time constraints right so right. i scaled down and then i was like okay we're like kind of getting close to finding a place like i need to wrap the shop up because the the new houses the houses that we're looking at are like two and a half hours away i'm not going to be able to use the shop after we move so i had to like leave all my stuff in toronto and then peace out like the everything stayed in the shop without me even touching it for like six months Oh, but you didn't just abandon it? No, I, I, I went and got it later, but okay. for that six months, I abandoned it. <laughs> so there hasn't been a knife, and you haven't made a knife in a year. Yeah, which is really weird. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think, honestly, it's had, like, real uh, repercussions for my, like, mental well-being, you know? Because, like, making things, making, you know, it, it happens to be knives, but, like, I love making things. And without access to my workshop, I haven't really been able to do that. You know, I haven't been able to like kind of do the thing that I love the most. So yeah, it's been you know I cry me a river first world problems over here, but it's been kind of a uh, a stressful time. You know, I can imagine, especially considering you're you're almost ready for that. I was gonna hit you up to see how long it's gonna take for me to get a triumvirate. Oh, the, the, the chef knife. Yeah. It's gonna take me. You know, yeah. I don't think I think I'm. I think. Uh, Five years. Uh, five years. I will, five years me, ago, it was five years, and now it's five years. So. Well, put me on the five-year list. I love <laughs> no, that You're already knife. on it. Don't worry, man. All right, you're already on it. Good. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I did one other thing that I'm excited about during this this year, which is I actually bought another CNC machine, um, you know, just to make my life a little harder right, with right. moving everything around. Um, so, yeah, I've got another CNC machine that, so now I have three in total of the Fidal CNC machines, and... That new one is specifically meant for making the kitchen knife. So that's, that's what goal. are the three different... I mean, you have to speak to me like I'm an idiot. I mean, not like I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, I'm no, an idiot. 
I mean, <laughs> <laughs> gee whiz, Aaron, oh. Aaron's talking about headshots. Fine, coming no in hot. No, nope. <laughs> coming in hot. I'll take it all day. What what are will the three different CNC machines be used for? That do you just want three, or each one is going to have a different role? I just collect them. You know, I don't want to spend these. I can't. Get no, out no, of here. Come okay, on, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, first of all, they're actually three identical machines. They're not different. And that's kind of important for one particular reason, which is the, uh, these, like this newest machine that I bought, it should have gone to the scrapyard, man. It's a, it's a real piece of shit. Like, it, it's been, it's had a hard life, you know. I'm going to have to do a fair bit of work on it to get it to a point where it's making knives. But that, that's fine. I bought it knowing that, and I only paid three grand for it, you know. Um so the reason that the three machines are the same is so that I can interchange parts. Uh, so I can keep spare parts on hand, you know, which, you know, maybe I buy them, you know, a, a spindle or something. That's an expensive part. But maybe I get one used and then it can sit there and be ready to go in as a replacement, you know, on short notice. And they can all take the same parts. And more importantly, I know my way around these machines really well now. So I get to, like, leverage that knowledge with the new machine rather than, you know, I've seen other folks that, are like, have fixed up a few CNC machines and then they kind of take that step up to something fancier and they think it's going to be the same. And then they're like, Oh, Oh God, what have I done? Like, you know, parts, I have to like call Europe to get a quote for a part for this machine and then air freight it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, but yeah, the, the goal with the three machines is to, uh, well, I'm not stopping there for one thing. Yeah. I mean, now you're committed. More. I've got enough space now. What am I going to do with it all? You know? um, so, yeah, the plan is to have, like, you know, one making blades, one making handles. I'm not exactly sure what exactly the division is going to be yet. Um, it may have ended up getting divided by material, um, you know, because I want to... I've been working on, like, refining my waste streams, uh, and that's that's not a joke about my bowels. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, all of the G10 scrap, for instance, I want to keep that and make uh basically like new g10 out of it you know uh recycle it um and i would love to do the same with the steel at some point obviously that's a little bit down the road um so but keeping those materials separate um in the machining steps is important because otherwise i'm just contaminating everything all the time how would you recycle g10 well, if you take all your G10 scraps, because so one one thing that's worth uh, thinking about, you know, so the way that um, most people make knives when they're grinding down their G10, which is this like fiberglass and epoxy composite, they're they're you know grinding it on a band, or sorry, cutting it on a bandsaw, or they're grinding it on belt grinder. You're just making dust, um, so you can't really do much with that. But for, in my process, I'm actually cutting it with um, cutting tools on the CNC, so I'm getting chips, like I'm getting bigger pieces of G10. So if I take all of those, you know, mix some epoxy with them and compress the hell out of them, then I've got a new product that oh, yeah. has, you know, still long glass fibers in it. It's not dust. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I just, I want to uh, keep looking into ways to minimize my, the environmental impact that my business has. Right. You know, and, and unfortunately, G10 isn't recyclable. So, you know, working out ways to reuse it in my shop, I think would be a really good thing. I have to stop and thank you a million times. I owe you because you, <laughs> you, you, you actually bullied me into getting a tile saw. Oh, and 
and I bullied it, you. Yeah, you bullied me. I'm I mean, that sa- sounds like me, but I'm. Sorry. I'm saying you're bullied. Now I'm saying you're bullied me, I, and I don't know. He's like, I don't know what you're talking. I don't know why you're fooling around. It has, it has affected our job, our business mm-hmm. so positively for a number of reasons. There's no dust anymore. Yeah. I'm not going through. I'm on the same. I'm on the original tile saw blade that I got the machine with a year ago. That's wild how long they lost when they're cutting G10. It's, it's great because I mean, look, you. I did. I had to do, use a, 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 a um, I use a table saw to just trim a little bit off. Ruined the table saw in one pass. <laughs> Ruined it yep. in one one pass. But the tile saw, I mean, it is remarkable. And the fact that we're not breathing dust. I got a guy here. We're not breathing as much dust. And I'm not going through. Um, I'm not going through uh, blades as much. It's amazing. Yeah, I love stuff like that. I love, you know, that's one of the things I miss most. I was, I was talking to my partner about this the other day. I was saying to her, like, I I think the thing that, like, puts me in my glory, so to speak, in the workshop is, like, finding these improvements that produce, like, an outcome that I care about. Right. You know, oh, this, this job that's, like, previously horrible and crap. Because, like, I used to cut up G10 on my chop saw, like, on a, a miter saw. Right carbide blades are yeah i didn't ruin a carbide blade in one shot i'm not sure what blades you're buying dollar store blades <laughs> i got i may or may not have gotten some cheap ones in the past yeah, what do you, you what, what, i mean you want me to lie i'm not gonna lie <laughs> um but like that would just cover my shop in the, the right. nasty fiberglass dust all the time and you know so obviously i dreaded that that job you know and the the tile saw you know it's still not the nicest job ever you're, you're getting sprayed with water that's that part's bad dust. Yeah, it's not great. But, okay, here's a tip for you. Buy an apron. Oh, yeah. I already had that tip. I know that tip. I'm all about that tip. Do you have one apron that's just for the tile saw? I have one guy who's just for the tile saw. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, like, that's such a nice quality of life improvement. So I've actually, since we talked, I've actually gone past that, and I now use the CNC to do all of my g10 prep as well (laughs) well but you but you have it but it but it like you were saying and actually i was actually trying i was talking to to uh brie about because i would love to be able to use scenes try to figure Mm -hmm. out a way he and i are going to do something down the line and a lot of it's because he's local to me i mean he's a mile away and i love the idea of having a local manufacturing situation we're going to do something together soon and and um you know working on some ideas and i really would love the idea of having somebody local so it's not a huge footprint and i, mean, I can yeah. walk down to a shop you so know you can frankly. bug him easily oh uh, he's great he's fantastic and we're going to talk about him a little bit later um because we're going to talk about ai i need to talk mm. to you about ai but i love the idea of i love the idea I, so i was talking to him about how we could use G10. And he brought me down to meet one of his guys, one of his engineers who uses the five axis machines. And, they, and he wanted to right. know the specs. And when I, I brought in a knife and I showed him the handle and stuff like that, and he's, oh, this is a G10. And he says, G, the problem with G10 is you're going to go through a ton of bits. Like the, yeah. um, the mill, end mill, the bits, I guess you call them the bits, I'm calling them the bits. You go through them like crazy. And we came to the conclusion, Bree came to, Bree and I came to the conclusion that manpower and labor is going to be a, the the short term, the short term better choice right now. He says, mm. if you want, 
I can help you with, you know, 60 grand. I'll get you a good CNC machine and my guys will come down and help you set up all the G codes and figure out how to use it. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 60 grand. Sorry, sorry. did you just say 60? Did you say 60 grand? I <laughs> yeah, mean, this no, is why before when grand. I was like, oh, I got this machine cheap. You know, it's a piece of crap. I got it for three grand. People would be like, whoa, three, three yeah. grand. You yeah. know, like, yeah, that's cheap. You buy like a one of these machines, like equivalent new. You're talking like a hundred grand. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. He was saying secondhand, sixty grand. I was yeah. like, yeah, you can get a good price on one for sixty grand. I'm like, fucking sixty grand? What are you? <laughs> are you nuts for a little G10? I'll just yeah, get a couple more belts from uh, wherever. Well, so, I got to take issue with this. You're gonna burn out end mills thing, but we, we'll get to that in a minute. No, but that's because I know that you, you, you. I mean, here, here, this year's. This year's product, this year's knives I'm making, I'm using like straight cuts. I'm not doing as much. Mm. I'm doing hidden tang knives. I'm doing straight cuts. I'm doing very, very simple, simplified handles, and there aren't as much contouring. So I'm not really, right. I'm not really doing any uh, round cuts at all, and I'm really minimizing. And I really wanted to kind of focus on the simplicity of the knife in general. But he had said to me that the end mill, the end mills get beat up. Like, it's just like those saw blades. Yeah, they do. And, you know, so with my knives, um, the tang is fully exposed around the edge of the, the handle scales, which means that the the tolerance between the handle scales and the tang has to be really, really tight. Otherwise, I mean, there's a step there. I'm holding it right now. It's You can't, If I only notice it because you said it. Yeah, and I sent you a bad one. We talked about that. No, you didn't. <laughs> I have it right here. I can't tell that it's. I can't tell that there's a. There's a. So the one that I sent you was a prototype made from AEBL, um, and I machined the the steel, the AEBL, before I hardened it for for the tang. And it turns out that when you harden, when you heat treat AEBL, all steels change size a little bit we're talking like you know less than one percent yeah turns out aebl changes size significantly more than the steel i'm used to so when i was finishing your knife i actually had to like go in by hand and and tweak the holes and the handle scales and the tang so that i could actually get the handles on right and i think you and i talked about this you probably just don't don't remember but... i do remember you said you had to do something i don't i don't, I don't yeah. think about the i don't think about the details like so that. the the fit and finish on in that part of of your knife is actually you know, I hate to say this, Jeff, but like not quite to the standards that I normally hold myself to. Listen to me, listen to me, Aaron. I love this fucking knife, and I, <laughs> I, 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 and you know what? You know what? This brings me to the, my next topic. Is I've always been a fan of a little bit of humanity, and mm. and I, um, when I was growing up, my dad was an incredible painter, and his painting style was very letting the process be the process. I also learned how to do watercolor in a lot of watercolor. You lay the watercolor down and then you let it dry and then you let the water be the water. The, his, my dad's process in, you know, letting their humanity come out. He didn't say that he wasn't smart enough to come up with that expression, but letting the humanity come up also kind of followed me when blacksmithing, when I was a student of Uri Hoffi, he mm -hmm. let the hammer do the thing. If it make the mark, that's the, he, he was the one who would say, that's the humanity. And I've yep. always felt that that particular style of let it be what it is, especially as a sculptor, as when I was making art, it's like, it is what it is. I'm not a machine. I like a little bit of humanity in there. And I'll allow that to be part of my process. Like just yeah, how, how I've been brought up, you know? So And me, I think that's pretty reasonable, but that's that's a limitation of making things by hand, you know? And and for better or for worse, that's not the, the path that I've chosen. That's not the path that you've chosen, but it is 
that it's an it's an ethos it's an ethos that either Mm -hmm. one of us have now i like a little bit of like a little something something's wrong Eh, you know what that's part of the humanity of it and i know some people say well that's just being lazy but i mean i i've been down that road of not being lazy and trying to allow things to have you know i i made hammers they get all you know off a hit mark that's just a hair off that's mm-hmm. the way it is you know next one yep. will be better yeah and i mean so like i can tie this back into what we're talking about with the end mills you know for me the goal for my process is i want my process to be an accumulation of all of my best days You know, every time I have an idea, I'm like, oh, I could do this, you know, this slightly different way that might produce a better result. You know, I want to try that out. And then if it works, I want to memorialize that in my process forever until I find something better. And the amazing thing about the CNC machines is they'll do exactly what we tell them to do. Oh, you tell them to like crash into the table and destroy themselves. They'll do it. You tell them to like put an end mill through, through your knife. They'll do it. That's fine. But if you you know, continue to tweak the programming, continue to to work on the Because, like, there's tiny little issues. Like, oh, this toolpath here doesn't quite line up, and therefore, like, the plunge line in your knife isn't isn't perfect. You, like, chase that stuff down. You know, maybe it takes years, and you just, you know, have, as I said, have that accumulation of good days where you work out how to fix the problem. Does that become overwhelming? Um, I don't think so, because you just kind of forget about it. Like, honestly, there's been times when I'm like, what, this seems stupid. Why am I doing it this way? And then I change it. And I'm like, oh, it's worse if I do it the other way, <laughs> you know, like, right. there, there's a reason for it. And, you know, so we were talking about the the end mills wearing out when machining G10. You know, I have to maintain really tight tolerances to get, uh, you know, the best. Like, I want my handle scales and my blades to feel like they've been ground together by hand on a belt grinder. You know, the, the, the perfect finish. Um. And so the problem with with using like the you know traditional end mills tungsten carbide end, end mills is that the the G10 like literally eats the end mill slowly. Right. So the end mill's getting smaller over time, you know, so maybe you get a month's worth of use out of it, but it starts out, you know, a couple of thousandths of an inch bigger than it ends up at the end of the month. And over that whole month, the the size of your handle scales is continually changing as well, just by a little bit, right? So in the end, the answer is actually diamond tooling. Um, so now when I'm CNC machining the uh, outside of my G10 handle scales and also like doing the 3D contouring on there, I'm actually using a two-flute diamond end mill. And, you know, so a regular end mill for doing this job made out of tungsten carbides like 30, 35 bucks, something like that, US. The diamond end mill is like 350 bucks. Like, wow. you, you don't want to drop one. But I'm still using the first end mill, the first diamond end mill that I bought in 2019. Huh. So So, do you have to like count how many times you're using it before you start to see a problem? Well, in this case, the diamond just wears so slowly that I just, I don't know when the end of end of life is going to be for this thing. You know, like I'm going to keep using it till there's a problem, but with, yeah, with the carbide end mills. um, So there's a couple of different ways that you track your usage. You, yeah, you use it until it becomes a problem, and then you go like, oh, okay, how many knives did I make? Oh, I machined, like, 35 pairs of handle scales. So from now on, I'll only use use it for, like, 25 pairs of handle scales, and that gives me some, like, buffer zone. Right. Um, or you measure every time until it becomes a problem. 
or you um, some of the more modern machines especially actually have uh, tool usage counters built into the, the control computer so they'll say oh this tool was last changed on like you know december 3rd and has been used for three hours of cutting since then wow. and you can tell it to like give you an alarm when it gets over you know five hours of cutting or whatever in regards to wear away the only thing i notice wearing away is uh i specifically know i have uh when i get uh when i'm drilling for corby bolts and yeah, i use the countersink the yeah the countersinks are the first one to tell you when things are getting kind of smaller and smaller because they start to wear away and then the corby bolts become very tight you know yep. So yeah. that's how I know. But I got to tell you, I just want you to know, don't get nervous, but I did buy a small end mill after, okay. for Christmas. And it was basically to just, all I wanted to do is I wanted to slowly learn how to use an end mill. And it's only for cutting in slots, slotting holes for the a bolster of a hidden tang knife. Right. What are you using it in though? In your drill press? No, I bought a little end. I bought a little milling machine. Oh, you bought a milling machine. I bought a little milling machine. Yo, you, you said nine hundred dollar milling end mill. I meant, I meant a milling machine. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Oh, that's awesome. I bought a little. Uh, Chris Zepp, Chris Zepieri, uh, who loves to make me spend money, got me to spend nine hundred dollars <laughs> on it on a milling machine, and I got to tell you, I love this goddamn machine, and it's yep. tiny, and I st now I'm starting to understand the how to use it and i'm getting a lot of really good results my mills are not going crazy with the g10 i'm getting a lot of usage out of them yep. and then now i'm starting to drill precision holes with the end with the milling machine because i'm, I'm with the g10 as you know g10 uh, gets a lot of uh, i call it bruising when mm -hmm. when your drill is not you know your rattles around in the in the hole a little bit you get that white you know you get the white on the edging yep. so i've been uh using a lot of dowel pins uh g10 colored pins and i was using the milling machine to drill my holes and i ended up getting a lot less bruising almost hardly any bruising when i was drilling nice. through using the but the milling machine is my favorite tool now oh, it's yeah. tiny it's they're amazing hey wait it's okay so for drilling the holes in g10 are you using high speed steel drill bits like your standard drill bits or are you using carbide drill bits i'm using high speed drill bits letter drill bits high speed steel okay so you can't, I mean, you can kind of do this in a drill press, but now that you've got a milling machine, you've got such a rigid setup, you can upgrade your drills, not all of them, just the ones that you need for, for T10, to tungsten carbide. So you buy solid tungsten carbide drill bits, and it will bruise less because they keep their sharp cutting edges for a lot longer. Um, and they generally tend to be much higher quality tools as well. So you'll be more likely to be cutting like perfectly on size. Are they... Tungsten carbide drill bits. I got to get oh, some. Yeah. Are those easy to get a hold of? Or yeah. In like so, here. So I'll, I'll, I get to do an ad read. Not, Go ahead. Not really. Go ahead. So my my friend Frank Mary runs a company called Maritool. M A R I T O O L. So if you go to maritool.com, they have all that you could want in terms of drill bits, end mills, all that kind of stuff. Uh, most of it's made in the USA. Uh, he makes a lot of like tool holders and stuff for CNC machines. And there's there's no money changing hands here. I buy everything <laughs> myself, but he's just an awesome dude. They're an awesome company, and they make really good stuff. So Maritool, yeah, M A R I T O O L. Yeah, Maritool dot com. I'm gonna get some. Do you think they have? You think they have uh, letter bits? Oh, they have everything. 
Hey, Dang, look at this website, Maritool. Look at you. <laughs> look at you. I, so I, I buy from them. I buy uh, screw machine length drills. So they're much shorter, you know, so like a quarter inch screw machine drill will only be like two inches long in total, two and a half inches. And that means that you have even more rigidity, like the tip of your drill can't move around anywhere near as much. And because it's made of tungsten carbide, it's even more rigid again than steel. So yeah, you're in for an experience here, Jeff. Well, here's the thing. This milling machine, I love it. And I'm, I'm doing hardly anything. With, it's so small. I couldn't do right. hardly. And I mean, my, my end mill bits are like, the biggest one is an eighth of an inch. I'm not going high. I'm mean, going right. eighth of an inch in 330 seconds is really all I need. But yeah. I tell you what, I'm ready. Now, all of a sudden, I've been using this thing. I've been cutting holes. I'm enjoy, enjoying sitting down. I spent one day just drilling slots all day long. Mm-hmm. I love. Maybe I need a bridge port. Maybe uh, I need a yeah, bridge port. Yeah, it's a gateway drone. And then after you get the bridge port, you're like, oh, it'd be really nice if this was CNC. And then you get the CNC bridge port, and then you're like, oh, I wish I had a tool changer there. And then, yeah, and then you're spending sixty k on your oh, machining. Oh, I'm not doing it. I, you got the wrong guy. I I can. I think that I I think that I've I've passed my limit on what I need. Because but then you start to think about well, I could mm-hmm. maybe I could put it. I could I could cut in a fuller in a knife. What do I need a fuller for? What do I need a fuller for? Speaking of which, <laughs> I want to talk about the next thing. Talking about the future. I want mm-hmm. talking about um, AI. I want to talk about all that stuff. I was um. We were ta- on knife talk. We were talking about. Do you know what? Um, and this has to do with. Uh, I think AI, a little bit of algorithms and stuff like that. Would you say that AI and algorithms? What do you think the relationship between AI and an algorithm is? You think there is one? Oh, they're very, well. Yes, like modern AI, which I would I would call it deep learning as opposed to AI, because AI pictures conjures this vision yeah. of you know Terminator. some robot that. Yeah, exactly. No, it can it can speak English. It you know it, it knows everything. It's gonna do whatever you want. That's what that's what we call like strong AI or general purpose AI. We're not there yet, right? We're at deep learning, where like a computer can do one task well, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, and yeah, like all of that stuff operates on top of algorithms. Like the 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 most important algorithms in deep learning are actually fairly small. Um, but they're they're kind of layered on top of each other dozens or hundreds of times, and they're they're run in parallel thousands of times. Um, so you're doing all of these tiny little computations, you know, trillions of times in order to get some kind of a result. So that and that that makes a lot of sense. It's what's interesting is is now you know the general population is talking about AI all the time, and mm-hmm. I'm, and it makes me think like they don't. I don't. I believe that AI really. I agree with you. I always felt like, eh, these guys are saying it because it makes it sound interesting and stuff like that. And AI just seems like a lot of yeah. algorithms kind of together. Yeah, and I mean, so when people think of AI right now, what they're really thinking about is like Chat GPT, which right. you know, you give it a prompt and it it gives you some text uh, as an answer. And like, let, let's be honest, it is pretty amazing. Um, or uh, what's the other one? It, Open AI. B- there's the one new that... Bing. The new Bing. Uh... Yeah, yeah. And the, the Google one. The stupid um, one, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an Open AI one that uh, gives you a, an image. Like you can give it a text prompt and it gives you an image. So I could say, you know, a picture of Jeff Fader with a rubber duck and it would try to give me a, you know, a, a painting of right. Jeff with a rubber duck. Um, yeah, and these these are not like 
understanding the world around them. They're, they're deep learning models, uh, deep learning systems that were built around very specific tasks. But as we keep, you know, as we, I say we humanity, I'm right. not involved in this. Um, you know, as we keep getting better at these individual like verticals, these specific tasks, and if we start mashing those all together into one system, you know, as as soon as there becomes understanding across the layers of that system, uh, it's going to get interesting. Yeah. What do you like? What would you like in regards to what? Well, so for instance, so ChatGPT, um, you know, you could ask it to write you a, a story in the in the style of Shakespeare, right? You know, it, it'll do a really good job. You can ask it to make you like, oh, I want some computer code to do this specific task. And 90% of the time, it'll do a good job. And the other 10% of the time, it'll turn out horrible garbage that only an expert would be able to work out as garbage. So that makes sense. Um, but once we keep getting better at that stuff, and once you know the, the text thing is talking to the image thing, is talking to the math thing... Because, like, chat GPT right now, like, if you ask it to do math, like, 2 plus 2, it'll tell you it's 5, you know. Um, but once we keep, like, once we, humanity, keep working out the the answers to these vertical problems, you know, the text, the image, the math, the, I don't know, emotion, the self-awareness, like, I, it's going to happen at some point. And when I say it's going to get interesting, I mean... You know, my my day job as a software programmer is is knowledge work. You know, I've spent, oh God, I hate to even think about how many. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thousands or tens of thousands of hours I've spent accumulating knowledge about specific tasks. And at some point, an AI may be able to do 70% of that. And, you know, that doesn't sound high, but that's enough to have a huge impact on that industry um so yeah it's gonna get interesting but that makes there's a lot of it that makes sense that would be helpful like yeah being able to do you know uh data entry for the for that for you know standard yeah. stuff that you know or like some type of bureaucracy you know being able to you know kind of navigate through these complex bureaucracies and, and that those things are the time saving things what what yeah. i think is i mean i honestly actually i found when you were talking about uh what ai can write a uh a story like shakespeare i actually found a story that i was going to bring up and i'm now's the time to bring it up this comes from <laughs> this is uh science fiction magazine stopped letting anyone submit stories after being flooded with ai written content the editor <laughs> yeah. the editor of clark's world said we're being buried yeah 100 percent. Um, yeah, yeah you know and i I think you're right. Like, there's lots of, like, drudge work, lots of, like, data entry, you know, that could be potentially done by an AI. And I don't know. I might have uh, unusual views about this. Like, I, I personally think that, like, in this day and age, having an individual spend, you know, 40 hours a week doing data entry is, like, 
it's like a crime. It's it's horrible. It's Torture. like the worst. Yeah, it's like it's just so terrible. So yeah, automating that away would be fantastic. But then we have this like fucked up situation where we should be freeing this person from this labor, you know, from having to do this awful job. But instead, we're potentially just making them not have a job anymore. You know, so there are lots of like potential labor savings, lots of interesting things that could come out of AI, but we as a society are not ready for that. You know, we're not ready for like, let's say, I think we've probably talked about this in the past, but like self-driving cars, you know, if and when that becomes an actuality, it's like 30% of the US labor market is transport, is people driving trucks and cars. You know, so if you put them out of work, like, what what are you supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? This this is such a fascinating topic of conversation because it, it, I was thinking about the idea of empathy. And mm-hmm. I feel as though we have lost, I mean, society has really lost empathy in regards to decisions that we make to the, the future. I think about when yeah. I go to the supermarket, they have less uh, cashiers and they have more self-checkout. You go to Home Depot, they have a lot less cashiers and more home, you have uh, self-checkout. Now, if you're driving in New York and you go through a toll, there are no toll booth takers anymore. All the toll right. booths are gone and it's all, they scan your driver's license or your, 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 um, your license plate or they, or they have your easy pass or whatever. And these are all efficiencies, obviously. But mm-hmm. at the same time, where are these people going to get jobs? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if someone, like, wants to be a, a toll booth attendant, like, and that's their glory, then, like, amazing. You know, they, let them do it. But, you know, if if people are having to fulfill these, like, almost, like, robotic roles just because that's how they have to, you know, eat and live, then, like, it's kind of horrible. Like, I'm I'm all for, for doing away with that. But, yeah, we, we just... I, th- I think when you said, you know, society doesn't have empathy, I-, I immediately in my head was like, yeah, like society as a whole doesn't have empathy for the individual that's going to be uh, potentially out of work. You know, we need to work out what to do about empathy that. for 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 anybody. The, yeah. the, and and that's yeah. the, the fascinating thing is society doesn't have empathy for other people's plights and things. But it, what it's kind of interesting is, is AI doesn't have empathy either. You no. know, that's the no. difference between whether something has re- real AI will have to have empathy before it is actually artificial intelligence or well, sentient it, being. It? it has no, to. So, to be a sentient, to be sentient, you have to have you have to be able to put yourself into the into the into the 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 foot the the shoes of someone else. Well, that's empathy, like right? A sociopath. Yeah, but a sociopath, like you know, a, a human that has that is a sociopath i my understanding of that disorder is that they don't have that right ability to put themselves in other people's shoes you know and a psychopath is one step further where they, they, they just don't even care to try but that know? i mean these are but obviously as a whole these are not these are not remarkable parts of our society you're well, talking about like you're talking but, about like the dregs of humanity well no i, I don't know but, well of course <laughs> maybe but those are still functioning self-aware human beings like potentially ceos of large companies <laughs> right yeah, um you're right you're you know right. so you're does right. empathy need does ai need empathy 
I don't. I think I don't in think order so. for there to be that transfer, I mean, I think I I what I wanted to talk about with the AI was an algorithms specifically mm-hmm. was um was this thing that's been coming up lately and in in the knife making community. There's been a lot of people who have been sending messages to the knife talk saying that they have been shadow banned or suppressed or because uh, for they don't know why. And they think that it's because, you know, there's this Instagram is has an algorithm that looks at your posts and sees if it's weapons, weapon related. And then some people get right. Whatever. And what we were talking about a knife talk was this. Uh, do you know what Section 230 is? It rings a bell. So it's exactly. it's this it's this part of um, the it's a part of a, I think it's only let me find I have it right here. It's uh, it's interesting because there's this huge debate right now on uh, hold on one second. Okay, Section 230 is a section of Title 47 United States code that it was enacted as part of the Communications Decency Act of 1997, which Title uh, V of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, and generally provides immunity for website platforms with respect to third-party content. So basically, YouTube, it protects YouTube from being sued if somebody does a, you know, uh, whatever, ISIS does a video on, on YouTube they're not responsible for it. They're just the provider. So yeah, what like ha- the ultimate example of this is like your your internet service provider, right? So they're what's, right. They're what's termed as a, a common carrier, which means that they just have to carry all of the information that is sent to them. They're not right. liable for that information. Well, so, so yeah. here's, what's in- here's what makes it interesting. So there's a court case going on right now called G- uh, Gonzalez versus Google. And mm. what happened was uh, this 23-year-old uh, Naomi Gonzalez was a college exchange student, was gunned down in Paris by Islamic State in, 20, in 2015. And the Gonzalez family contends that, the rec- that by recommending Islamic State-related content, YouTube, which is owned by Google, ac- acted as a recruiting platform for the group in violation. Um, right. So the difference is what they were Ugh. saying was because of the algorithm, which made you say, oh, if you like that, maybe you like this. They felt that the algorithm promoted more videos that would further inspire people to join ISIS. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, uh, Section 230 isn't really being covered anymore. And they're questioning whether, well, yes, of course, you're not responsible for it. But if your algorithm promotes these videos, then you might be responsible for it. Yeah. So yeah, and I see this firsthand all the time, unfortunately, because uh, you know I find firearms really interesting. Like they're really interesting mechanical thing. Sure. But you know, YouTube assumes that because I watch like uh, Forgotten Weapons, which is a very interesting like uh, YouTube channel about firearms, that I'm probably also an extreme right wing person, and so starts recommending you know YouTube channels run by extreme right wingers and i i you know whenever i find a new channel like that that i like i have to be like oh god now i have to go through and click all the like not interested on the other channels you know, right like don't recommend this stuff to me so yeah i i kind of see why the family might be pushing that particular well it's a fascinating idea. concept because yeah. so we talked about the knife talk and then uh, one of our listeners rob mckinnon sent me a message saying oh yeah by the way that happens to me all the time. And what you can do on Instagram is you, if you click on your uh, settings and then mm-hmm. account, 
and then account status, it'll tell you whether you're within the guidelines or not guidelines of, of in order to be recommended. Because that's one of the things on Instagram is they're making this point. A lot of people are making the point that I'm not getting recommended anymore or I'm getting suppressed to a certain degree. So I went, before I talked to you, I said, okay, mm-hmm. let me see what's going on with Fader Knives. So I clicked on settings uh, and then account and then account status. And then it, t- it ticked three three things of chef knives that I made, like the goofiest of the chef knives, like chef knives right. with like Wonder Woman colors. And these are culinary knives, you know, really nothing much. And they say these uh, our violate weapons. our violate our recommendation. It wasn't like a violation, but it was like right. it was like a orange triangle, which is like you're on the verge of being in violation. So they said you can you can yeah. uh, you can fight this or you can just erase it. And I was just like, those are from old. Those are old knives. So fuck that shit. I just got rid of them. And then all of a sudden I became in compliant. And I realized that it was like because I'm looking at these knives. These are just like you got to cook your you got to cut your sandwich with something. You know, it's not like yeah. it's not a weapon. You know, obviously, yeah, and you can have that conversation. But what these algorithms are doing is they're unable to make that kind of decision making. They're unable to make real decision making. Because I was thinking, I was like. There are a lot more of my posts that were closer to being in violation than, than that. Mm-hmm. But the, the algorithm just wasn't able to. The algorithm was not algorithm. able yeah. to kind of like, they, they chose three lame ones, frankly. You know, they didn't even get the good ones. And I'm not, you know, but it made me also. Where are the good ones, Joe? Well, I mean, that's between you and me. I ain't going to tell them. I mean, uh, who knows who's listening? <laughs> but what I did what I did think about was I did think I have a, a forging project that I like to do is I was going to make a ballet song or a mm-hmm. butterfly knife. And I thought I figured out how to do it in, a, in the friction folder style, all hammers, all with, you know, forging. It would be a great forging exercise. And then I thought to myself, I don't want to be on the fucking red list. I don't want to be marked. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my business can't afford for me to be suppressed for, for something stupid like that. Yeah, and you know what? Like, so I had a really interesting opportunity. Uh, I think it was like 2019. Um, I got to meet some Canadian Special Forces personnel uh, who, I you know, I got to chatting with with one of them, and I was like, oh, I've always wanted to try long range marksmanship. You know, like you know, out to like a you know 750 meters, a kilometer, whatever. Right. And he was like, well, how about we swap you? you know, a couple of knives for a day at the, at the firing range. And I was like, yeah, hell yes. Are yeah. you kidding me? Um, but yeah, I didn't take any video or photos on that day because I knew that then I would, well, I mean, I took some, but I didn't really publish them that much, especially not on YouTube. Like I didn't make a YouTube video about it. That's my biggest audience. And the reason I didn't is because if I had, there'd be a pretty good chance that my channel or that that video would get demonetized. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, like the the problem is if a company or a service is a com, what they define as like a common carrier, right? Like your internet service provider, they're, they're not allowed to censor what goes, you know, through their pipe, so to speak. You know, they're just delivering a thing to you. Um, and I think there's just been an argument for a long time about whether things like YouTube that primarily exist because of user submitted comment uh sorry content right you know is that a common are they a common carrier or are they not and i think that the answer has been that they're not so they're like somewhat liable for what's on their platform and honestly in the case of youtube it's like not even that they're liable it's that advertisers don't want to be associated with certain 
things that are like societally risky right you know um so videos that cover those topics uh are more likely to get banned and that uh, that has you know there are very reasonable applications of that rule like where we'd all look at it and be like yeah okay forget it and then there are other ones where it's uh, you know it starts getting really gray like there um a couple of youtube channels that i follow that are uh like military history you know so you make a documentary about world war one you spend tons of time working on it and then your channel gets demonetized because you're you know talking about war right that's yeah that's that's a bit harder well i think what's interesting is is the, the common consensus is it's suppression or it's it's but really what it is is it's going back to gonzalez versus google mm -hmm. it's it's um it's the idea of a private company protecting themselves legally by being able to say see this is what we're doing we're marking people yeah. doing stuff that we think is violation it's not like they're simply sitting by now one of the things that was interesting just reading more about the article was the idea was that you have two ways to go either you completely comp you completely police your website and make yeah. it very very boring that was that was <laughs> one of the that was one of the the outcomes which was we can you know make this a G-rated website, and trust me, it's going to get boring really quick. Or we let the Wild West go, or we do what we're doing now, which is kind of like case by case. Yeah, and I think, like, content moderation is is fine. It's important. You know, like, there's stuff that shouldn't be on the internet. Like, you know. Right. We, we, yeah, we, we don't, don't, have to, don't even have to say yeah. it. You don't have to say anything. Um, right. The problem, I think, the problems happen when you have vaguely defined policies as well as like automated enforcement you know so like chef's knives for example are a really good you know a really good instance of this like they say it's a weapon because it's a knife and all right. knives are weapons quote unquote but you don't have any way of like appealing to common sense because the whole process is automated you know? right right um yeah you know I see both sides of this and I, the answer is I'm not sure that there's like a right solution, you know, like, like being absolutist about it and saying like, Oh, no moderation. Uh, you know, like <laughs> it, it kind of leads to the internet and potentially the world being a worse place. Right. But then it's knowing yeah. there's these very gray areas and there are these lines that are still yeah. being, you know, they're still kind of being adjusted. The funny thing is when you say it was chef knives and our weapons, if you, I, I mean, if you look at any movie, like a horror movie or any yeah. kind of action movie, it's always the chef's knife. They're going to the chef knife. <laughs> yeah, they're right. using the chef, you know, the biggest chef knife they have. When you read articles, well, I, I used to get, uh, you know, funny knife news for knife talk and they're trying to find like crime stories. Right. When they refer to we refer to knives, like kitchen knives being used in a in a crime, they always refer to them as butcher knives. When they're right. not, doesn't butcher. matter what kind of yeah, it doesn't matter what yeah. kind of knife it is. They call it a butcher knife. They don't call it's it a like nine a, inch santoku. Oh, yeah, they don't. They don't knife. never do yeah. that. There's never. Yeah, any, yeah. There's never. Yeah, it was a you know it was a, yeah a e b l santoku. No one does any of that. Right. So you kind of create this whole idea of this whole thing, and you know back even to you know the fact in the UK they're trying to ban. You know, culinary knives. I, I'm. This is not that show where I'm. You know, like we're railing against people's freedoms and stuff like that. But I find that, I find that this is part of the future because, you know, when we look at how 
the technology and future ha the future has really um, improved everything. You start mm -hmm. to see this. You start to see this. You know the ability that the individual can kind of take control of their own thing. I mean, Instagram is my PR department. You know, and it's right. like, and it, the crazy thing is, is like. For me to not, when I see, we try to get people on our newsletter. We have a newsletter. You have a newsletter. You have a great newsletter. Sure. We use the, people say, well, you don't need, you don't need, if you have a newsletter, you don't need Instagram. Well, you got to, you, you got, people eh. got to find you somehow. Yeah. You know, they got to find you somehow. So you have to have, you have to figure out a way in which to kind of like navigate it all. But, and you can, all these things you're being able to, to, technology is allowing you to be able to do things yourself, but you're still running into these like, issues that are problematic towards your business yeah yeah like what's you know there's no um recourse right instagram decides that your your page is like against their rules you know but it's not and then all of a sudden like a huge part of your business presence is gone like that has real consequences associated with it yeah like facebook Facebook used to allow the advertising of knives and, you know, that was a big factor in helping grow my business. I, you know, cause I could spend a dollar on advertising and get like three people to my website, you know, like that's, that's huge. They don't allow that anymore. You know? Um, I, I don't know, man. I so like, I think that as with everything, it's, we're in the kind of the teething period. Right. You know, like when I was a kid and, you know, the internet kind of became, thing i was always on the side of like oh this is like infinite knowledge for everyone this is gonna lead to like the best possible world and instead what has happened is that now you know like <laughs> uh, a phd immunologist you know someone that specializes in viruses and vaccines has the same platform as like someone that is saying vaccines are killing you right you know? and yeah, I don't know. It's it's just kind of given a, a mouthpiece to everyone at the same level, which, I, you know, if you told me that as, when I was younger, I'd be like, yeah, that's amazing. And now I'm like, oh, unintended consequences. <laughs> See, you know what's interesting that you say that? Because when when the internet was coming up, the, so so I, when the first time I ever heard of the internet was when I was in college, 1992, we had a email system called the Vax, and you could write mm -hmm. emails. That was the first time I'd ever heard of something like that. How I mean, how old I, are you, Jeff? Jeez. Well, I'm about to be. I'm going to be fifty in December. But it was, oh, it was, yeah. it was, it was. I mean, War Games was the the movie War Games with. Um, That's was a the, great movie. Was the first real internet. I mean, no one really understood what the hell was going on in that movie. But I mean, that was the original internet. Was right. the movie War Games? But I just remember. When we I graduated college, my girlfriend and I, and now my wife, we move in, we, we get dial-up service, and we're talking about, you know, the Internet's really starting to kind of take hold mm -hmm. in society. We're talking 1996, 1997. The first thing I thought of was, this is going to really separate people out, not in terms of um, classes, like, uh, like uh, wealth classes, like middle mm -hmm. class or the lower class or upper class. This is going to be technocrats versus people who can't afford to get involved with the internet. I felt that there was going to be a technological drift between people that was really going right. to put people in a place of not being able to, to follow along and compete and then people who are going to succeed. And I felt that there was going to be a, I thought it was not going to be, I thought there was going to be a lot of people left behind. Right. Yeah. And I think you went wrong. You know, I think a lot of the older generation at that time, um, you know, people that are in their like 
40s or the fuck them i don't care the baby boomers can go fuck themselves every if you're listening to this and you're baby boomer i have no respect for you whatsoever don't worry about the baby boomers i don't give a shit about the baby boomers i listen generation x and down you're fine baby boomers it's 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 enough you've we've we've had enough of you i'm thinking more about the fact that like computers the planned obsolescence of computers and planned obsolescence of phones and people just not being able to afford to to be able to use this adequately yeah but i mean i think we go through a, a march with any new technology right that like initially it's yeah very rare um and then it becomes more and more prevalent to the point where oh you know tech from from 10 years ago like you know if we let's just think about table saws you know if you go back i don't know what 100 years nobody's got an electric table saw right that, that's like some crazy shit yeah you know? But now you can get a table saw from like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, and it's still good. It does everything you need. My feeling is that at some point we're going to hit that kind of a level with computers and phones. And I think we kind of have to some extent, you know, like if I if I go in Kijiji or whatever and buy a phone that's six years old for 50 bucks, then I'm, you know, it's going to cover 90 percent of my needs. Um, is that what you do? Uh, I actually do. I I routinely buy well, not routinely, but like I normally buy used phones. Yeah, I don't buy see. Phones. I was gonna say that the the techno the the people left behind. Thank God for debt. Thank God for thank God for people getting into debt with uh, you know monthly payments because otherwise no one would have a smartphone. No one able to have the internet if we couldn't go into debt. Well, yeah, I guess it's true. I mean, if even if I'm buying it used, I put it on my credit card. But yeah, I mean. I, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah, and I, I still think that we're, like, in terms of globally, we're certainly still in a situation like that, you know, where depending on what country you happen to be born in kind of dictates whether or not you get access to, you know, a certain level of tech. And speaking of which, you mentioned uh, 20 years ago or 100 years ago, you, uh, a table saw would have been ridiculous. Nowadays, An electric table saw. Electric table saw. Would <laughs> yeah, you get that the overhead belts, you know. Yeah, you can have that. Yeah, the then overhead belts. you get belts. a donkey outside that runs <laughs> yeah. in the cage, you know. Uh, that's actually how uh, Samuel Yellen, the the one of the great American blacksmiths, he wasn't even American. Uh, he had a, this huge uh, blacksmith shop in yeah. in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, and he had uh, multiple little giant power hammers, and they were all running on belts. And then there was something, <laughs> there's something in the back running them all. It was yeah. One belt runs them all. Yeah, and I guess you know to an extent, I would see a similar kind of path happening with like CNC, right? That like. You know, at one point, the individual couldn't have a workshop because, like, unless you're just using hand tools, I guess, right? Right. Um, because you couldn't have that that larger stuff, like, in your garage. You needed, like, overhead belt. You need a river next door to run your water wheel, you know? <laughs> and then we got electricity, and, you know, it, things kind of march on. Um, but they march on in a fascinating way because if you look at I, I mean, now, I mean, think about, like, uh, CNC plasma tables. You know, mm-hmm. plasma tables now are, I remember even... I mean, five, ten years ago, it was unheard of to have a plasma table in your garage. I know five guys who have yeah. plasma tables, that, and then they've created their own manufacturing companies because they're able to make parts for yeah. to create a company out of their garage. Yeah, and CNC plasma cutting is such a huge bang for your buck, too. Right? Is it? Because Yeah, because we've, like, we you know... Like two dimensionally controlling a plasma cutter is like child's play for a computer now. You can you know you can use a computer from nineteen ninety six to do that shit. So 
the systems involved in controlling one of those things are cheap and therefore the overall machine has become cheap you know and you can chuck it in your garage like you said like i yeah i don't don't know where we're going i i like to think that we're going to a good place i I don't know with all the ai and the well there's a lot of good stuff as you said there's a lot of good stuff because you're seeing i mean the pandemic was good for a lot of people to kind of make them figure out ways in which to you know make money without having to leave their homes you know yeah well i mean only fans come on i mean only fans was good for a lot of people right jeff I mean, yeah. it was good for a lot of people. Yeah. wasn't good for me. <laughs> He's ignoring that one. wasn't good for yeah, me. So it wasn't good for a lot of people. I mean, as I said, we're, we're two and a half hours outside of Toronto, outside of the big city, you know? So we've got internet here that I can, like, have Zoom calls and, like, video calls with everybody all day. Um, you know, my partner's able to work remote now, too. So she and I both work remote. Uh, I'm not sure that that would have happened before the pandemic. No, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. I Which mean, is, we've been doing podcasting remote right. since, you know, for, for five years at Mife Talk. We've been, this was easy. This was easy. You know, we, nothing changed for us because, I mean, we just were able to, we were able to do, I mean, Knife Talk, Mareko's in, in Seattle or, mm-hmm. you know, Portland area and Craig's in France and I'm in New York. And we were able to do it seamlessly because we'd been doing it for, for years. Yeah, who would have thought Jeff Fader leaving leading into the future of you? Nah, leading into the future. I, you know what? I have I have real, I have uh, I'm very very, I'm very very torn on it all, frankly. And a lot of it comes from the fact that I, I I have such a love for the old school way of doing things. I've I, and mm. one of the things that I've brought up to a few people from for a few of my guests is I feel as though that. All the technology that's happening now for tooling and for uh, CNC and stuff like that is amazing. And I think it's fantastic. And I, I have two guests I'll, I'll talk about that. Here, big butt. You, there's a lot of and, – and YouTube learning too. YouTube yeah. learning is great. But there's a yeah. lot of things that you miss. And a lot of that thing that you miss is experience. Not the experience, but experience in learning how to do something. So you mean like, oh, I go onto YouTube. I learned some new skill. I learned how to I know, rebuild my car engine, but I haven't made the mistakes to know why certain things are done a certain way. I'm just copycatting. More or less. Yeah. I mean, that's simplifying it, but yes, but I'll, I like a simplification. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I learned how to, I watched a YouTube video. I learned how to tile the backsplash in my kitchen, and now I think I go into tile business. You know, it's like, yeah, but you probably could. (laughs) Well, I mean that, yes, but there are certain things that like, I, I, it's, 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 it's what I love the idea of the fact that, you know, I know very little about milling. I Mm -hmm. know very little about this milling machine. I'm focusing on this two processes and I'm growing throughout. I know what works. I know how to go forward. I know how to mark my piece of G10. So I know I figured out the pathways the best way. Don't go all the way down and then start drilling. I do passes and I make marks with the pencil so I can see the marks when I'm drilling and there's all sorts of chips going all over the place. Pencil? What century is this? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have, this is manual, my man. I mean, I'm not, I know, I I'm know. not out. I love it. I mean, yeah, I've I mean, figured out, you figuring, you just, I mean, just even you, you figured out ways in which to, in the experience that what you said, like in terms of to make your knives, you want to have good days all the time. And it takes a long time to figure out those processes for each step to be that good day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something I think about a lot is like how much of our life 
is spent just like learning shit that other people already know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. we spend so much time and badly to... and badly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, like oh, things as simple as or as simple as you know making knives or blacksmithing. Like, you know, I, I love what I do, but I also recognize that it's not like you know, vitally important to the future of humanity. Of course. Um, but, you know, there are people out there with all this knowledge locked in their brain around, like, you know, designing computer chips or, like, I don't know, physics or or whatever. And, like, to hand that off to the next generation, we have to, like, painstakingly write all of this information down and then, like, you know, spoon feed it to the next people. Like, it. I think that's one of the the biggest effects that the internet has had. And like, I really underestimated how important YouTube was going to be on a day to day basis for me. You know, that like I spent a lot of time on YouTube for, for education, for entertainment. Right. Um, like it's a, it's a hugely important platform. Do you, and go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just, I just think it's really interesting that we spend so much of our time relearning things that other people have already mastered or, or learnt. you know, I don't know if that's, if it's important to keep relearning it so that we learn different takes on it, or is it just, you know, millions of cumulative years of humanity's life wasted? Well, but it's also like I had, uh, I had a few master bladesmiths on the last few weeks and we called the show conduit to generations. And I feel Mm -hmm. as though that this is passing along information that was, um, might have gone away. One of my guests, yeah. uh, Jordan Lamote, uh, spent nine months in India, and he learned this this uh, process called kafgari. What kafgari is is you take a piece of steel, like, a, like let's say a bolster for a knife of steel, and then you make a hatching, you make a little cross hatching on it, and then you overlay you overlay wire with uh, kind of similar to the inlay, but it's, it's called overlay. And what, when you kind of push down this wire, it almost makes like, um, almost like how you 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 created these like, um, it's almost like Velcro, like it hooks right. in, but it's overlay, and it's this t- concept that may have gone. Now he wants to, he really feels strongly about it. he learned it from these Kafgari masters, and he wants to he appreciates it and wants to kind of like bring it along. You know, yeah. bring it along and, and bring it along for other people to kind of witness it. And there is this idea that even YouTubers are creating stuff that's we're kind of pushing forward this old information to, to new eyes. Oh, 100%. Yeah, when you say even YouTubers, like, ouch, Jeff. Oh, I no, mean, like, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, it's okay. I, I hated like chemistry and math in high school. Like, I, I did terribly in high school in, in general, but I can tell you right now that like there are YouTube channels that have like actually made me interested in chemistry and math because these people are really passionate about, you know, something that they're interested in and want to share it with people. Um, and as you said, like with, with like reviving or like keeping alive the knowledge of these, you know, ancient practices, like, I think that's as worthwhile as as anything else, you know. You saying you saying that YouTube got you interested in chemistry. I hated mm-hmm. math. I was terrible at math. I have dyscalculus, which is like dys, uh, dyslexia for math. Right. But when I started my at a at a metal shop and I had to learn how to use read a tape measure, I had to yep. learn how to divide, I had to learn how to scale things. I grew to love math. I grew to love math because I found this this tangible thing 
that I needed to know how to do well in order to successfully complete projects. I'm 100% the same way. Like, I think my interest in chemistry started with metallurgy, which I wanted to learn so that I could, you know, understand what was going on when I'm heat treating steel for knives, you know? So, yeah, I... I don't know. As I said, I just I I had really underestimated how important YouTube was going to be to me personally on a day to day basis. Not even as a as a creator. I mean, it yeah, it really uh, helped launch my business. So it changed the trajectory of my life in that way. But it also, in terms of just like learning new things, it's hugely valuable. Do you still get people commenting on your videos? Oh yeah, all the time. Uh, I I try to respond to all the comments as well still. I mean, it's, you've been, I mean, you, your first, your knife making YouTube was like, gotta be seven years ago, right? Seven or eight years ago? Yeah. I think around that. And can you imagine you, you're, you're having consistent responses to these videos eight years, seven years later? (laughs) I don't know about consistent. Well, I mean, like what we say once a week. Yeah. Yeah. eh. Right now, at least it tends to happen in bursts, right? Like if I've uploaded a video and I'm excited about it. Um, then I'm going to be on YouTube more often, so people just get quicker responses. But you know, I I've been recording video over the last year of the process of working on the the workshop. Oh, cool! But I haven't posted anything. Um, yeah, it's, and it's going to be very different than my previous videos too, because I was like, well, all of my camera gear is in my shop in Toronto, so I'm just going to use my phone. It's going to be like, you know, vlog style almost. I, I, I can't wait to see what you do because I, your videos, you have no idea when I have you on this or when you're on knife talk, we get messages saying, if it wasn't for Aaron Goff, I would never become a knife baker. <laughs> well, you get I'm that. Just, you must get that a lot. I don't know about a lot, but I've, yeah, I've, I've been lucky enough to have that many times and yeah, it is, it's gratifying to know that, you know, I helped, uh, that I helped someone find something that they're passionate about or even that opened up other avenues, you know, like people that went on to be machinists or, you know, mechanical engineers or something because, you know, they were just going through YouTube and got really interested in something that, you know, changed. See, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that burden. (laughs) I wouldn't want that burden. I, 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 this, this podcast, I mean, I've been podcasting for 12 years mm -hmm. and for me, it's, remembering when I was a child, a, lo- a, lock, a, a latchkey kid, parents divorced, no one's around. I was scared being alone in an apartment building in Manhattan. It was dark. I was scared. And I would turn the radio on because I wanted to hear a voice that wasn't yeah. telling me what to do or wasn't bossing me around. They, was, they were with me. And those years of being able to kind of like not feel afraid and being kept company by a, a by by someone just you know telling a joke or or you know saying something outrageous or just even talking about anything, I appreciated it so much that I kind of wanted to give back, and that's what I would want to do. But I would never want the I want to keep it company. I would never want the I would never want the uh, I would never want the burden of you made, you turned me into a knife maker. I would never want that. <laughs> I don't think I can handle it. Uh, I mean, two things. One, so I guess that's where the phrase "I'm with you." comes from well did i ever tell you what i'm with you comes from no the original i'm with you came from i found it to be i had a guy in the shop and this is like 10 years ago Mm -hmm. a guy came up to me and he's just some people talking about empathy some people talk at you and they talk at you my father would say some people talk to hear the words come out of their mouths no my grandfather said i could talk underwater with a mouthful of concrete (laughs) well this guy was 
telling me and telling me, did you know about right. this? Did you know about, and he's telling me and he, not listening. And I just started saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it was like <laughs> the, it was like the open sesame of stopping conversation. And I started to like, I would say, I know I'm with you. I agree. You don't have to tell me all about how you hate this or you don't like that. I'm with you. And it right. was like, and as long as I was doing it, I was stopping conversation. I'm with you was like the fucking door closer on a conversation. Interesting. So all these times you've said it to me, I thought you were. I you say were, it you know, both ways. <laughs> I say it both ways, Aaron. I say it both ways. I say it. I am with you, and then like I know I'm with you. I'm with you. So yeah. I it I I'm with you became like this funny thing because I would say it all the time, and then all of a sudden my friends who are podcasting would say they would say, "Oh, Fader says I'm with you all the time," and that became my slug line. And right. but it was really like the 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 impetus of it was, oh, "Please stop talking." You know, it was <laughs> it was please. We've had enough. Everyone's had enough. I understand. Uh, I get that a lot. So last but not least, I want to, unless you have something you want to bring up. Well, I was just going to say, like, in terms of you were saying you don't want the responsibility, like, it's, it's not, I don't really think about it that way. You know, I'm just sharing things that I'm passionate about. And if other people happen to be passionate about it, then that's fantastic. I'm if they're not, then around. they can go watch someone else's videos. I'm fooling around. <laughs> well, you're, the thing about your video, your YouTube videos, where they became, I would say more than just an informational video. You're, the way you did it, the way you filmed it, the way you did the voiceover, it became like you had some magnetism that makes people want to make a knife. You made it so right. easy. You made it so uh, uh, approachable. It. Approachable. It. Yeah. You really did hook a lot of people, by the way. <laughs> Slightly nefarious, well, by, I might add. Uh, well, I want to go more into um, absurdism. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go. Well, just with my YouTube videos, I'm going to. Oh, yeah. People are going to be knife making shit posting. People aren't going to be prepared for that, Aaron. They, <laughs> you're, you've you set yourself up as being like this kind of professorial. You have this great accent and you're very, oh. you know, you're, you're never smiling and you're very, you don't, you know, you don't make any jokes and you, you're very like to the money. And you get that idea because the CNC is all very, um, and your original videos weren't CNC at all. It was all like, you know, you were doing everything by hand. So you're going to screw funny people watching up. The original videos now, like my, my, my manner when presenting is very like, very, um, yeah, you're, you're right. Like not smiling kind of standoffish. Yeah. Like, you're... And honestly, it's just cause I was nervous. You know, I've gotten a lot more used to it now. Well, you were, you were, there was a robotic quality, but it was seen. It also seemed very like, pro it seemed very pro i've sent people i send people to you i send people i said you can't come back in the shop until you watch aaron's videos i send the people all the time <laughs> go home go home watch these videos go home you can't come back here unless you send watch home the playlist Thank so you. last but not least i want to talk to you what do you think about ai art oh man this is hard because so like the way that ai's work now like deep learning right is by what they call reinforcement learning so if you tell you're telling this model this you know neural model this deep learning system oh I, you know this is what a duck looks like and you use 300 of Jeff Fader's watercolor duck paintings you know and then it can perfectly replicate your style like did did they violate copyright by using your duck paintings as input if this thing can only make you know duck paintings in the style of Jeff Fader is that like just plagiarism like i don't, I don't know man i don't like i don't think they're yet really capable of original art but i don't know where the line is blurred 
because like i think most most humans myself included aren't capable of original art either you know one of the things well the, there's the ai art that you can download a software and then you do like mm -hmm. you said in, and i've made this the joke before that most people who get the ai art of themselves it's all very like everybody looks good you know everyone looks like right. they're out of like the movie dune or something like that it's like a very uh right. the, it's like it's a little extra good like you don't look that fucked up you should look a little bit more fucked up you know well, you ai should fuck you the up text a little bit. prompt yeah just all of the people in this painting should be slightly fucked up yeah yeah, you yeah. Sh there should be like a fucked up filter like come on let's be a little bit honest you, you don't have a, you don't you don't glisten like that Add some you're, moles yeah a your cheekbone ain't that great yeah, yeah you look yeah. awful you got a scar on your come on man stop, stop <laughs> it so there's that and then there's what's called generative art and i'm gonna have brie pettis on because he's one of the like the foremost people on generative genitor genitor I almost said something else. Uh, generative. Generative art. I almost, yeah. Don't you know what I almost said? Don't worry about that. <laughs> so he had an art show where he had digital artists come, and he had mm -hmm. a plotter machine. You know what plotters are? Yeah, it's like a machine, that like a CNC machine. It it's, is a CNC machine that moves a pen around. It's a giant, right, but it's a giant, like a giant printer. Like it, yeah. it looks like, and he got uh, a pile of them from the 80s. Cool. And they're cool. And he had all these artists come up who created their own software and they created their own AI and then they would put the program into the plotter and then the plotter would come up with this painting or a, right. or a drawing. Or I actually, I don't know if you've seen this video, Jeff, but I actually did a video of when my very first CNC machine or the first real CNC machine, five and a half thousand pounds of fury. Um, with a Sharpie duct taped to the bottom of it, doing uh, photos of people, like printing out photos. And how did it look? Oh, it looked like shit, but it was amazing <laughs> because I did it, you know? Well, I, I, literally, mean... I literally had a party at my workshop where I invited everyone over and we got drunk and you'd sit in front of a webcam, take a photo of you, and then the machine would print it with a Sharpie on a giant piece of paper. And they, what did they look like? Um, well, you have to go look at the video. What but the... It's, it's kind of like lines left to right. And the, the line gets thicker or narrower depending on, you know, how dark the photo is supposed to be at that point. So it's on it's on your YouTube channel? Yeah, it's on my YouTube channel. Right, it's good fun. It's good fun. Well, it, so what's interesting is, so I was talking to some of these artists. And I was talking to one guy and he said, I was kind of interested. I didn't really understand it. You know, like as a sculptor going to, you know, arts, you know, taking art classes and learning about critique and talking about direction, talking about the kind of work you do. I said to him, I'm like, well, what's your direction? And he got really like, what? He didn't really know what I was talking. He didn't really know. I said, well, right. tell me about your work. Tell me about your work. I think I was, I wasn't trying to be a dick. I was trying to just like, you know, talk to an artist, you're having a conversation, you're trying to tell them, you know, I would want someone, if somebody was talking to me about my art, they would, I would say, well, tell me about your work. And then you would say, okay, I do that. So he got really quiet and he says, well, what do you mean? And then it turns out that he had been a computer programmer and then he'd be, you know, building NFTs and he just thought they were cool. And I asked him a few more questions. He got a little rattled and he pretended I'm I'm standing by this. He pretended he had to make a phone call to his girlfriend. Oh, that yeah. Fucking walk. You get away. that a lot? I don't get that a lot. But it was just like I was just like I wasn't giving you hardballs. I was giving you over the plate meatballs. Yeah, and, but you're, and I felt, you're a professional. You're like, well, I, I, you're, I'm professional. You're a professional. Tell me about artist. your work. If I said to you, tell me about your work, 
You could but tell you me about your art work. school, man. You like you were you were like a professional sculptor. I wasn't point. asking like, you, for fucking you, footnotes. I wasn't asking for. But you know, I think this is the difference between, you know, it's it's hobbyist versus pro. Right? This, this person this is, is a, there just because well, they're having fun. This guy was considered a very important. He sells sells where he's represented by a gallery. There's now galleries popping up that's that's that specializes in digital art, and there's becoming a, a very. It's becoming. I don't know if it's a lucrative, but it's becoming a real thing, and it's. These what it is is they're concentric circles, and I made I made a crack to breed. I don't think he appreciated it, but it'll be <laughs> fine. I said so. This looks to me like it's similar to when you take a uh, a piece of string and tie it to a can of paint, and you pop a couple holes on the bottom of the paint, and you swing <laughs> it with a canvas around. And he goes, "Well, it's not really like that." But I mean, I'm like, "Yeah, it kind of is." I mean, it's just like concentric. The the computer programs would create these concentric circles right. and patterns and then they almost like a gyroscope or something like that and then they would kind of move around a bit and that what i was getting from the a lot of these guys was and i'll and i'll and then we'll you know we'll put it to bed and i'll get brie on here sooner rather than later is it just seemed as though there wasn't a lot of the the computer and the programming mm-hmm. was the instrument and that yep. was what was important as less than the actual output yeah, and I mean, you you said that they were made their own AIs, which I would say. No, is I don't know. I'm I'm saying it's, that it's, as they a, made their own algorithm. Yeah. Algorithm. Yeah. I'm 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 not versed. Program. I'm not well versed in this. So I'm glad you corrected me. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I have mucked around a tiny bit with that kind of stuff, and I it's yeah, it's just about the joy of. You know, it's like just dabbling with, uh, you know, watercolors on a big pad when you've never used watercolors before. There's a joy in just like seeing how the colors run together and, um, you know, just just having that creative outlet. And I think that that same feeling can be applied to almost any medium. Um, And, you know, I think the reason that this person was baffled at your your question. I hated it. (laughs) Well, but they've they've come to it as... um, you know, as a happy discovery, whereas I think that your journey with art has been a lot more structured. Um, you know, I think that you've had those moments, but you've also, you know, been a part of like critique panels and, and talking about your art and like what the motivation for it is. And maybe this person had just never been exposed to that side of it before. The, the funny part was, was I would have taken any answer. Like I wasn't like judging him and I wasn't coming across like a prick. I mean, I know that's hard to believe, <laughs> but I, I wasn't coming across as a prick. I was willing to take chit chat. I was willing right. to take anything. But as soon as, as soon as the fucking phone came out, I got to call my girlfriend. I was like, "Fuck this shit!" <laughs> you know, I, 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 now all of a sudden, now I got a problem. I need something. <laughs> I need, I need some sort of humanity. I need, I need there right. to be this kind of. This human understanding, and it doesn't have to be you good. You got the human, man. You got the the anxiety. I didn't get the. I didn't get the human. The guy makes fucking NFTs, and he's like sells these paintings for tons of money, and it's like he's living off all this shit. And I'm just like, I just want some answer. I tell me, you just you can't just say I did it because I think it's cool. It's not good enough for me. Man, that's if you'd asked me uh, why I started making knives, that would be a hundred percent. But that's not art. Because it was cool. That's not art. Yeah, that's true. So knives have a purpose, I guess. Not art by definition. Uh, there you go. Anything else you want to cover, or you think we've? You think I've? I've taken too much of your time, or? Oh, you've beaten this dead horse, horse to death again. The uh, the YouTube video that I was referring to before with the the CNC drawing photos, it's on YouTube called uh, CNC Photo Booth. I just had to go look it up. 
Uh, and that was from seven years ago, which is mind-boggling. Aaron My Goff. oldest YouTube video is, right now is 11 years old. Is that the from the airplane? Yeah. Model airplane? Yeah, a little making model airplane wings. And uh, there's actually, there were videos older than that from when I was um, uh, doing martial arts. And the, there was actually like amateur MMA fights of me on YouTube for a while. Deleted. Are them. there 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 now? No. I kind of wish I hadn't deleted them. I wish I kept them up. Yeah, you should have kept them up. I know. No. I forgot that you were you were you're an amateur MMA fighter. Not a good one. Well, let's point that out. But you, you know, there was some videos of me getting my butt kicked on there. Well, you know, that's some that's humanity. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's like that's not like the AI. You know, it's that's that's the reality of it all. I mean, AI will never be able to, you know, replicate human struggle. I thought you were about to say AI will never be able to kick butt and. You're you're cursing us with that. Well, there's going to be movies. There's the movies. There's <laughs> there already is. It's called Terminator. That. Yeah, Terminator. Yeah. yeah. Aaron Goff, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Goff Customs. He's going to come back with the triumvirate, the triumvir, triumvir, triumvir. Yeah. Triumvir. And I want to I want to be on that list for the, the first ones. I want that knife. I the the the. And he's not taking orders right now. I don't think. No, Are you taking no. orders right now? Nope. Not in. Not for any knives right now because I don't have a workshop. Doesn't have a I'm, workshop. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, you know getting back on the horse. I, I feel want like, to get back to it. I feel like maybe I got one of the last ones. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm gonna say I did. I got the last one since he stopped. So he's coming oh. back, guys. He's coming it's back hard and f fast. <laughs> Aaron Goff, Goff Customs. Go follow Aaron on Instagram and encourage him to t keep taking, keep doing stuff. I want to see more of you. I know you you did the. Yeah, I, the, the I want you to get back in. The, we need to see your face. We need to see you when. Uh, and you have an open invite here. I'm telling you this. Um, you publicly if you, now. If you ever, <laughs> of course, if you ever decide you want to do, you want to get back on, you know, podcast, get something you want to talk about. You know, you got the open invite. You got the bat signal. You're always welcome. I'll I'll store up all my bad takes. I'll be back. I love a bad take. Guys, go follow Aaron on Instagram, Goff Customs. Go follow his YouTube channel. If you've never watched, if you don't know how to make a knife, and you've always thought, hey, what's a big deal? Let me look at, go watch Aaron Goff's videos. They, he is he is the pioneer of how-to knife making, and he's an important part of, this, of this, this knife making community and the greater community at large. Aaron, thank you so much. You are the man. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Lovely as always. As always. All right, guys. We'll see you next week with the return of Ben Snoor. He's back next week. All right. Bye, guys. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.